And welcome to Talk to Talk. I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And I'm Bill Newman. Last Friday, the Massachusetts Appellate Court issued a decision that you probably haven't heard about, but we think you really want, we think you really want to know about. The name of the case is Carroll versus the Select Board of Norwell, and the case teed up a issue that we talk about on the show often, and it's the tension between the need for conservation and our need for affordable housing. And in this case, that tension was very much front and center. Interesting, as a part of this litigation, the parties were actually representing themselves for the most part. Um, Lawyers were not involved except for one, Joe Schneiderman, who was an appellate attorney uh, represents parties between the Massachusetts at the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court and Appeals Court and other appellate courts as well. Uh, Joe Schneiderman joins us today. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for being with us. Give us the overview of the case. Uh, how did it come about, and why is this case an example of the tension between conservation and affordable housing? Joe. Good morning, Bill. Thank you. So um, this case arose in Norwell uh, on the South Shore. Two people living uh, in a semi-rural part of Norwell um, live near some land that the town actually owned and that the town had dedicated for a long time as affordable housing land, but had not yet developed as affordable housing land. And in 20... Go ahead, Bill. Stop there for one second, because I think this is crucial and it's something that uh, I needed to go back and try to understand. I'd love it if you would explain mm-hmm. it. The land sure. was designated as affordable housing land. What does that mean? So control of land um, is and always has been a power of select boards. And the select board about 20 years ago, this land was originally a tax foreclosure, actually. And 20 years ago in 2004, the select board took a vote and designated and said, we are going to set this land aside for an affordable housing development. Okay. We still own and manage. Okay. So the town gets, the town gets to designate it uh, because it owned it. It took it in a tax foreclosure. Is that the way in Mm -hmm. which land ends up being designated as uh, affordable housing? No, there are a lot of statutes that govern um, affordable housing uh, and but if towns do take tax foreclosure land, they can choose how to uh, dispose of and manage of it. That's that's their power that they've had since select boards have been in existence. OK, I have one other remedial question for you that I hope you can help me with uh, something that's mentioned in the case that I thought was really interesting. I don't really understand fully. And that is some 10 percent. De- uh, requirement for affordable housing for various land in Massachusetts. What, what, what's that about? So there's a state law, Chapter 40B, perhaps your listeners have heard about it. It's uh, called the Anti-Snob Zoning Act, and it sets a minimum threshold that towns need to aspire to for affordable housing. And the minimum threshold is that at least 10% of land in towns must be dedicated to affordable housing developments. Okay. And 
I've interrupted you. So now we know there has to be, there's supposed to be 10% of land in, house, in town, mm-hmm. towns and municipalities devoted to affordable housing. We understand the various ways in which towns can control land and or come into ownership of land. Tell us what happened in this case. Well, there's one more interruption. I just want to point out that so many towns, including all the towns that I know about in my Hilltown region, so many towns aspire to that 10% number but can't seem to achieve it because it requires private, often private developers to join in on that aspiration. And I think just think that's part of this profile of 10%. And it's also something that came into play in this case, Carroll versus the Select Board of Norwell. By the way, the, ca- the case was decided by what court, Joe? The Supreme Judicial Court. Of Massachusetts. Last Friday. Of Massachusetts. And I would point out that the Supreme Judicial Court took this case because it thought it was really important. It bypassed the appeals court. Uh, it took it directly because the Supreme Judicial Court of Massachusetts decided this was a really important case, and uh, Joe Schneiderman was the one attorney filing a brief. On behalf of whom, Joe? The Massachusetts Association of Realtors. And Joe filed that brief on behalf of the Massachusetts Association of Realtors, um, and the other parties were pro se, uh, regular people, not lawyers filing their own briefs, making their own arguments. Okay, so the town has this land. It designates it as affordable housing. What happens? So some people living near that land, who we call butters, um, they tried to push uh, the select board to redesignate this land. There were votes taken back and forth. It failed. They eventually went to the land court, which is a trial court here in Massachusetts, just devoted to questions relating to land use uh, and real property, they went to the land court uh, basically to, or have the land court compel the town of Norwell to transfer the land into conservation purposes. And a land court judge said, no, you haven't shown that this isn't still conservation land. They appealed and it went to the Supreme Judicial Court. Okay, so the trial court said, uh, no, you can't use this for conservation land, or the trial court said, yes, you can, and it doesn't have to be affordable housing. What was the decision below? The land court judge said uh, there is no factual question here that the town is continuing to hold this land for affordable housing purposes. Therefore, you can't force the town to redesignate the land. I apologize if that was not clear. No, no, that, that's really helpful. So the land is designated for affordable housing. Uh, Buzz mm-hmm. was just asking you about and clarifying for us what this 10% uh, requirement is under the uh, Anti-Snob Zoning Act. Uh, how, mm-hmm. how close to 10% is Norwell? That was a point actually we made in our brief. Norwell, is, as of the last information we had, is not even at 5%. So that's a what we call a good trial fact for your side, which is that, hey, this town is in real need of uh, affordable housing if it is to bring itself into compliance with state law, which says you're supposed to be at 10 percent. And as Buzz points out, many towns are not. So, mm-hmm. OK, what did the Supreme Judicial Court decide last Friday? Last Friday, the court ruled that the two abutters could not force Norwell to redesignate the land as conservation land because nothing uh, indicated that Norwell stopped holding the land for affordable housing purposes. 
Why is the case important? Why do you believe the Supreme Judicial Court took the case directly to decide it? So the Supreme Judicial Court, as we've talked about, clarifies the law. They are there to elucidate what the law is all over the Commonwealth. They took this case because there's implications not only for affordable housing, but there were some disparate legal threads that needed to be tied up, especially about what test governs when and whether um, a town has or has not uh, designated or ended a land designation. So that was an open legal question. Well, what does that mean? And I guess uh, Buzz, who's, uh, of course, has been very involved in his town of Ashfield for decades now and is the moderator mm-hmm. there. Uh, what does it mean when a t- once a town designates uh, land for a specific purpose and specifically for affordable housing, that's now written in stone? Town can never change it? No. Actually, I'm glad you asked me that, Bill, because there are a series of statutes that govern and the statute set out a sequential two-step process for A, the designation of land, and B, how land becomes transferred. Okay. Joe, well, Buzz. Joe, Joe Schneiderman, I, uh, I really want to congratulate you. This is really an important case. And uh, the thing about affordable housing that qu- quite often our eyes glaze over when we use language like that, but it's about people being able to afford not only to live but to work have employment, mm-hmm. to have their kids go to school, all of which a town needs. We all celebrate diversity. We all talk about pluralism. Our community is not all people who are affluent. Our community mm-hmm. is comprised of a lot of people who can't afford it. So your incredible work on this in this uh, uh, case, which began in land court and went all the way up, um, it's also about not just conservation land versus affordable housing. It's also about not in my backyardism that... I want my backyard to be free of any affordable housing kind of stuff, right? And is that why you were involved in this case? And is that where your passion comes from? Buzz, you're very apt. That was one of our points, which is that we wanted to bring out in the brief. And actually is one of Mars, that's the Massachusetts Association of Realtors, policy initiatives is to further and foster uh, the development of affordable housing throughout the Commonwealth. And that was one of our points which is to avoid NIMBY. Not in my backyard, the acronym. What I'd like to understand more, uh, Joe Schneiderman, uh, is what are the tools and or the legal uh, motivators that get a municipality to this 10%? This anti-snob zoning law has been in effect for decades and decades. uh, Mm -hmm. and, And as I understand what you're saying, a Norwell, which has... 5% of its land devoted to affordable housing as opposed to the requirement of 10%. But as Buzz points out, many, I don't mean most, uh, municipalities are not at 10%. Um, What are the legal motivators, if any? What are the tools and or the requirements that will get a municipality to 10%? Or is it just aspirational and and that's where it gets left? So the Commonwealth, by a Commonwealth agency, Um, regulates and oversees affordable housing. The 10% standard is written in state law, and the state agency, which has changed names, it is now, it was called the Department of Housing and Community Development, it's now called the Executive Office of Housing and Livable Communities. They oversee that, and they have a committee called the Housing Appeals Committee, 
which can override local land use regulations to foster developments so that uh, a city or a town can meet that 10 percent threshold of low to moderate income housing. But the town or city doesn't get into any trouble. There's no uh, legal uh, sword pointed at them that something bad happens if they don't get or they don't have 10 percent of their land devoted to affordable housing. Is that is that right? I believe I'm drawing a little bit of a blank here, but I believe that towns can risk losing funds. I know that in the T communities, because the legislature passed the T Zoning Act last year, there are some sticks to the carrots there that towns can risk losing funds from the Commonwealth. That's exactly right. Actually, maybe it's carrots to the sticks, because if you don't mm-hmm. achieve that 10 percent, there are grants that are available for municipalities to do certain things which they're not allowed to access unless they can demonstrate that they've achieved a 10%. So, so many communities are aspirational, not just because of the good reasons why we want to promote affordable housing, but also because there are carrots there that we could benefit from if we achieve that. But demonstrating that you achieve it, it's really hard because most developers don't want to do affordable housing in the sticks. So it's affordable housing, uh, whether that's public housing or private housing, I take it. I, 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 I'm a little bit distressed to admit my ignorance here, but I'd like to understand this better. What do you mean by affordable housing? What's affordable? Affordable housing uh, is um, something that someone at or below the medium income of a particular area uh, can afford. Um, The HUD actually says that 30% of one's income uh, is the maximum that one should be devoting uh, to their housing costs. So affordable is below that and it is to ensure that someone uh, can indeed live there without spending 30 or m- more percent of their income. And again, th- this debate right now in Greenfield is raging over the former Wilson's department store uh, in the second floor. They're going to be putting on housing, mixed housing, um, affordable because it's subsidized housing, also for low-income people who don't qualify for subsidized housing to make affordable housing. And there's a big debate about what that should look like. It's not easy. I know in Northampton you have the same debate going on, Bill. Um, Could we go back one second? I I, I hate to be displaying my ignorance here, but when you talk about affordable housing, are you talking about home ownership or you're talking about renting or both? I believe it's both, that it's renting and affordable housing, and the affordable housing uh, developments have classically been uh, rentals, but I'm not aware of a distinction in state law between the, the two, not personally. We are talking with Attorney Joe Schneiderman about his victory as the attorney for the Massachusetts, was it Board of Realtors? Realtors? Association of Realtors. Association of Realtors, Mars. Uh, in Carroll versus Select Board of Norwell at the Supreme Judicial Court just this past Friday. We'll be right back. Father wears his Sunday best. Mother's tired, she needs a rest. The kids are playing up downstairs. Sister's sighing in her sleep. Brothers got a date to keep you cutting around. Listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. 
You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Attorney Joe Schneiderman, who won at the Supreme Judicial Court just last Friday, Carroll versus the Select Board of Norwell, a victory for affordable housing, but some will claim at the expense of conservation land. We were talking uh, while we were off the air about how much conservation land there is in Norwell already and, by the way, how difficult it is, maybe legally impossible, to get land out of conservation status once it's there. Could you comment on that for us, please, Joe? I would be happy to. So almost 20% of the land in Norwell is already devoted to conservation uh, purposes. And conservation purposes are a creature of state law. And the Housing Appeals Committee, which can otherwise override local regulations, cannot override uh, restrictions in state law. And does that mean... uh once land is in conservation status, that it is there as a practical matter forever, which I think is probably the point, but is that right? Practically speaking, it is there forever. It's a very, it's very hard to change that designation, and the Housing Appeals Committee would not have the authority to compel uh, conservation land to not be conservation land. Which makes sense. It seems to me that if the land's going to be conserved, it's not supposed to be available for other purposes. So that sounds about right. Do you agree? I agree that um, land, obviously, there's uh, the people of the Commonwealth should have conserved land, conservation land, but conservation land should not come at the expense of affordable housing. Uh, developments, and it certainly should not be redesignated in a potentially underhanded manner. Okay, so and so, what you're saying is that here the land was designated for affordable housing. It couldn't be then converted to conservation land, which would change one purpose, which is very important, to another purpose, also important. And once those mm-hmm. the designa- designations are made, they are supposed to remain. That's the idea. Until and unless the town processes decide that, uh, that there needs to be a change, and the t- town processes in Norwell had not decided there needed to be a change here. Okay. So in terms of the take-home lesson from this case at the Supreme Judicial Court and balancing the uh, need for conservation, an important need, and the need for affordable housing, a crucial need, um, what's the take-home from this, from this case? The take-home is that... Uh, the courts, if there are questions about the continued designation of land as affordable housing land, courts will look to all of the circumstances surrounding the use of that land, including over a very long period of time, and disuse or a lack of development is not enough to show that the land is no longer necessary or designated for affordable housing purposes. Joe Schneiderman, I just want to say to you that uh, this, this not only affects individuals, this ruling, it affects communities. It makes our communities better. Thank you. You're very welcome. My pleasure. We are now going to turn from, thank you so much, Joe Schneiderman. Really appreciate your time today. Congratulations on this victory at thank the you. Supreme Judicial Court. We are going to turn now to uh, Buzz Eisenberg to tell us about another decision by the Supreme Judicial Court. Yesterday, the SJC made a ruling 
that obviously is headlines across the state today. Buzz, tell us what the Supreme Judicial Court did and why it matters. What the Supreme Judicial Court did yesterday was, here in Massachusetts, we do not have a death penalty. Death penalty has been deemed to be unconstitutional in Massachusetts. If you commit first-degree murder, um, as defined by our laws, then uh, you have only one sentence that is available, which is life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. What the Supreme Court yesterday did was it recognized that since our brains don't fully develop, including those portions of our brain which are involved in moral reasoning, and since we can now prove that with thermal imaging in other ways, that no longer is life without possibility for parole constitutional for anyone under the age of 21 because their brains haven't fully developed to the extent that it's required in order to say you may never even apply for parole. So now people who have the 202 people in Massachusetts prisons that are serving time under the previous rulings that they were serving life without possibility of parole will be able to uh, to apply for parole. This has been a development in the law over time. It used to be that juveniles could be transferred, would be transferred to superior court, 16-year-olds transferred to superior court and tried it as adult and for murder, and 16-year-olds given life without the possibility of parole. 30, 40, 50, 60 years now, not enough. We want to see you die in prison. That was the law. And then the uh, Supreme Court of the United States said, no, wait a second, that just sounds wrong. There should be a possibility of parole. That doesn't mean there will be parole, but at least the possibility of parole for people who are 18 or younger, under the age of 18, excuse me. And now the Supreme Judicial Court of Massachusetts, under our cruel and unusual provision of our state constitution, has said that that same reasoning applies to persons under the age of 21. Do I have that right? You have that right. There, there. I've read, yesterday I read the 153-page opinion, um, and I have to study it some more. And by way of disclosure, I have a client who is serving life without possibility of parole, who committed his act when he was one, 18 years and one month old, um, for which he was sentenced. If he had been, if he'd been 17 years and uh, 364 days, he would not have received that sentence. That's exactly right. Okay. That's exactly right. I just want to, the way that I read it is, if in fact it's uh, life without possibility of parole, uh, you may now apply for parole within 20 years after having served 20 years, um, if you didn't uh, get convicted of a crime that involved extreme atrocity and cruelty, one of the three prongs of first-degree homicide here in Massachusetts. If you did get convicted of extreme atrocity and cruelty, then you have to serve 30 years before you may apply for parole. That's the way I read it, although I have to read and reread this case. It's complicated. And this applies to some, I, I thought it was 300, but you said it was 202. 202. Persons in Massachusetts who are serving life without parole sentences who committed the crime uh, while they were under the age of 21. That's right. And what you just said is important, Bill. It, has to, it, it is at the time of the commission of the offense how old you were. Okay. So there will be a possibility of parole for these individuals. What does that mean in terms of their actually being released from prison at some point? And what are the criteria for whether or not someone can be released? That's a great question, Bill. The parole board is comprised of individuals who each have their own take on what constitutes parole 
uh, eligibility for people. And uh, some people have committed crimes because something went wrong in the context of a drug sale or or something else. And, and in this case, let me just remember for a second. Sure. In this case, it's Commonwealth versus Mattis. Mattis, yes. M-A-T-T-I-S. Uh, as I understand it, the individual Mattis, who is the uh, petitioner in this case, uh, he was convicted on a theory of felony murder. Really terrible he facts. Terrible facts, but he didn't actually commit the murder. That's right. Yeah. And, he was, and because his co-defendant, who actually did, I think he provided the gun, the co-defendant actually did the killing, the co-defendant was underage. Mattis gets life without possibility parole for providing the gun to his co-defendant. It's these are ugly facts. So there will be uh, hearings uh, coming up, I assume, over the next considerable amount of time in front of the parole board for consideration of these individuals who will meet the criteria for consideration for parole. Obviously, some may not have served 30 years, but the idea is that people grow up, people change, and there should be at least the possibility. Of parole. And by the way, these two companion cases, the Mattis case, they were Northampton lawyers who, who, who did that. We're going to leave it there. We'll be right back with, well, who's, com- who's coming up, Buzz? We have Professor of Jurisprudence and Political Science, Professor uh, Austin Sarrett. I just can't wait to talk to him. From Amherst College. We'll be right back. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.